to our listeners who don't listen to each other's podcasts, we should introduce our podcast. Mine, my name is Ted King, and mm. mine is called King of the Ride. Listen to King of the Ride. It's good. Thanks. Payson, what you got? My name is Payson McKelvin, not McElevin, and my podcast is called The Adventure Stash. Hey there, folks. That's right. I am Ted King. This is King of the Ride. And that was Payson McKelvin, who is not the host of this show, but is the host of his own show, The Adventure Stash. Payson and I have a whole lot of similarities. We are both bike riders. We are both bike racers. We are both enjoying this whole burgeoning world of gravel. We are podcasters and share an interest in creating content for the general good and general growed. I had a beard once, a very scruffy beard, and he has an excellent mustache. Payson got the better of me at Land Run earlier this year where he took the win and I slotted into second. And then I one-upped him at Steamboat where we swapped those podium positions. The list goes on. Seriously, though, he and I have been trying to find time to sit down to podcast when we realized we were, we were at a little bit of a stalemate as he wants to interview me and I want to interview him. So first, given that scenario, second, given a shortage of time, since the two of us limit ourselves to just face-to-face -face interviews when we are hosting our podcasts, and third, given that if we did sit down and I record him, and then subsequently, we sit down and he records me. Something is going to be lost in the general heart of one conversation or the other. And so, ultimately, we decided to mix it all up and interview each other simultaneously. His podcast, The Adventure Stash, is launching this conversation as we speak. We'll have a different intro. Surely we'll have a different outro. Maybe we'll have some random different edits throughout the show, but the crux is the same of both interviews. Payson has some amazing guests. He has an excellent show, and I really think you're going to dig what he's doing. So if you don't know about it, go check out his podcast. I actually think this format of mutually interviewing each other, it worked out really well. But of course, I am always open to your input, so please reach out and let me know what you think. As you will see over the course of this convo, this is the first of a much, much longer conversation. We're going to touch on a whole bunch of topics, both in cycling and non, from the world of podcasts, of course, to media in general, to his life in van life, the politics of cycling as we are entering this new age of gravel. This conversation is a winner. It took place at the launch of Big Sugar. This sweet new gravel race in cycling Mecca, Bentonville, Arkansas, this past October. This could be the first public announcement on a tangent here that Untapped is going to be the official nutrition sponsor of that event. Come one, come all, come taste the awesome advantage that Untapped has over the competition. Now, this event did, of course, sell out in a hot second or maybe 10 minutes. So if you're looking for other ways to pack your calendar, the other sugar, Sugarcane 200, is an early season addition to my calendar that I really think you're going to dig. Scope Sugarcane200.com to see where I'm going to be spending my late January in 2020 riding my bike in the warm weather of Florida on some of their picture-perfect gravel roads, just skirting the Everglades. That's my idea of fun. However, I digress. There's no reason to delay this any further. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I present Payson McKelvin. I am on Ted's podcast and he is on my podcast. Action. At the same time. This is quality. Um... <laughs> should start with a good first things first. Have you ever exchanged podcasts with somebody in any capacity? Mm, I want to say yes, but I can't remember who it was. This is one thing I'm really bad at is if you ask me what my schedule is, almost down to the hour, three weeks from now, I can probably tell you. If you ask me what I did yesterday, it will take me a long time. We're to, twins. 
<laughs> I, yeah. I do and suffer from this exact same affliction. Yeah. People ask me who I've had on my podcast. I'm like, uh, <laughs> go like, look on iTunes. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like often when you exchange a podcast with somebody, it's like, hey, I'll be on yours if you be on mine. It's rare that you say, hey, let's record a <laughs> podcast to interview each other on the show. So Yeah, it's going to be odd. I, we'll see how well it works. Neither of us know. Have you done an exchange before? Um, oh, sheesh. See? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Not that I could think of. Yeah. Which I'll stand by rather than saying I don't okay. know. Okay, fair, yeah. Um, let's go with, let's go with, I'll, I'll fire the first shot. Payson McKelvin. Mm. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think probably once or twice I've said McElveen. That's fine. What are the various other yeah. incorrect pronunciations of your first and or last name? And while you're at it, what's your middle name? Uh, middle name is Conley. Fam- cool. Family name, C-O-N-L-E-E. Um... Mispronunciations. Uh, McElveen is very common. McElveen, very common. McElevin. <laughs> McElevin's pretty good. And I then think the when they B-I-G, say... Notorious B.I.G. has a rap that goes, I got seven McElevins. <laughs> I think he was rapping about you. <laughs> yes, I'm finally at a rap song. Just didn't know about it. Uh, McElevin, usually quickly, someone says that sort of giggles and then goes, McLovin, ha ha. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's pretty all over the map, but... That's fine. Yeah, names are hard. Uh, Yours isn't. Well, no, except um, my my born legal name is Edward, middle name Carrington, last name King. Carrington is a family name. And then what was always a struggle as a kid is, you know, first day of school, Edward King. You say, yeah, but can you call me Teddy, please? Mm -hmm. Everybody sort of giggles and says, where does Teddy come from, Edward? It's like, check your pie hole. So (laughs) we're in the same spot now, already thinking ahead. Like, we have a daughter coming in March. Yeah. And you got, man, naming is hard. Oh, really? Interesting. What is that? So sorry. What's the due date? Due date, uh, March 17th. How are y'all going about that naming process? Is it your, you're taking out the trash and you're like, Oh, put, put a note in your phone or do you sit down together? And no, I wish it were that. And I sort of anticipated that, like that there's this constant brainstorming going on. Like, ah, that's a good one. Or you text Laura in the middle of the day when you think of something, but no, it's largely um, not thinking of names. And then towards the end of every week, not to say, basically like it's a weekly thing, one of us will lob out a name and it's quickly like, no, that's <laughs> that won't work. So That's man, funny. That's yeah, funny. It's a, it's a doozy. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess I'll take a turn. We can do a, I like it. a one-for-one style thing here. Um, kind of transitioning from... Uh, you talking about the child that is on the way. Congratulations, by the way. Very exciting. Cheers. Thank you very much. Um, this question will likely have a very, very long answer, but that's fine. I think we're kindred spirits in some ways in that we seem to hustle pretty hard off the bike. Um, you're one of the few people I know in our position that seems to have more ongoing projects than I do. <laughs> and it's like not even close. Like you have way more projects than I do. Um, so first I'd like to know, uh, how you manage to do all of those things and still maintain the relationship with your wife. And now you're expanding that family even more. Uh So what, what is that, what does that work life balance look like? I know she's pretty involved in in your career. You almost share careers in a way. Sure. And then second part of the question would just be, can we kind of run through everything you're doing? Cause it's. Every time I think I have a handle on it, a new thing gets announced. I'm like, yeah. What? Well, maybe I'll answer in reverse order. Yeah. Which will help answer. Well, let's just go after it. So, this will also add a little chronology. I retired from traditional bike raising in 2015. At the beginning of 2016, I began this life as an ambassador, which is, I think we can both agree, kind of a funny term. Um, I didn't expect to do that. Well, let me backtrack even further. So I, I knew at the beginning of 2015 that was going to be my final year, and I had no idea what I was going to do. I, I half anticipated going into pursue my degree in economics and get into finance. Um, Can we tangent super quick? Because this sure. is another question. Why did you retire when you did? Because you, I mean, you're still very much in your prime. Um, 
what you, in my mind, you retired on the earlier side. Sure. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I retired at 32. Yeah. I'll try to bullet point these for the sake of getting through a conversation. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, we, one, we both admit we are limited right now and that we're about to go to a dinner, but yeah, let's see where we go. Um, retired at the age of 32 after a 10 year professional cycling career because at the beginning of that final year, I was the third oldest person on my team. At that point, it was uh, Cannondale Garmin, I believe we were called, um, under the slipstream operation. And uh, Tom Danielson and Ryder Hesterl were the only two guys older than me, and we had an exceptionally young team. So I'm surrounded by so much talent, like Joe Dombrowski and, and Ruben Zapunki and, uh, I mean, just these incredibly fast young kids. At that point, I think Ben King was still a young young cyclist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... I'm like, you know, in 10 years, I, I feel like I've done everything that I'm going to achieve as a domestique. Um, I previously, the previous four years, raced four with and four Sagan, and, like, that's the highest of highs. Like, you're not going to win more races. You're not going to be racing at the bigger, at any bigger stage than that. Yep. So it was uh, admittedly young. I figured I could have gone on for another three, five 10 years, pulled the pulled Jens Voigt and raced till I was early 40s, but I just didn't want to do that. I um, I think as a result, I haven't say there's no guarantees with having a college education, especially in the world tour, but I do think it does open up more doors and allows more possibilities. And I think there are very, very few college degrees in, in the world tour peloton and, you know, for good reasons, because by the time you're 17 years old and told you're a world-class cyclist, that's, that is your pursuit and that is your everything. So... I was just looking for something else. And so when I made that decision to step away from traditional cycling in, in 2015, um, initially my intention was to go completely tangentially and leave the sport. Um, I wanted to, to keep a few irons in the fire. I wanted to do a tiny bit of coaching. I wanted to be uh, you know, a junior team developer, developer or something like that. So you weren't burned on the sport. No, I still loved it. That was yeah. the other key piece. Thank you for saying that, is I still loved cycling. Yeah. And I wanted to continue loving, loving cycling. Yeah. I've seen a lot of friends and teammates get to October, not have a contract, and be like, oh, shoot, I guess that's my career. Yeah. And so to make that decision consciously in February and be able to sort of roll out the red carpet throughout the year, that was an amazing way to step away. Did the, the risk ever get to you? Or the, just the general grind, because, I mean, the number in, in the World Tour Peloton, one of the things that just blows me away, and, I mean, the, if you want to make a living racing a bike, the World Tour Peloton is is the place you can have the most fruitful career financially. But I also think it's got to be the gnarliest grind. I mean, the number of race days, the number of days away from home, the risk involved, the training hours is pretty mm -hmm. unparalleled. So were you still enjoying all of that? How were you dealing with all of that? Mm -hmm. Um, it was a grind, hundred percent. I still enjoyed it. I mean, racing for racing for liquid gas was a kick. It's mm. just like that. That'll slightly grind the soul out of you, just to to be such a uh, cultural island. So that's where Timmy Duggan and I were teammates and bonded so well because you know the two of us think as as Anglo's and the rest of the team thought as Italians, and it's just a it's a different mentality. But we enjoyed it and embraced it, especially in hindsight. Um. So I think being a single dude at the age of, what, 27 through 32 helped. I mean, I dated a little bit. I burned out a lot of relationships trying to live that that bachelor lifestyle, not bachelor, like trying to live the... Selfish lifestyle. Selfish lifestyle. That you have to. Yeah, which I thought initially was going to sound like so intriguing to any potential person that I was dating. Like, hey, why don't you come over and check out my Italian villa? It's going to be sweet. But the reality is like... Hey, I'm going to go leave for two weeks to a training camp and come back and eat salad and starve myself. <laughs> you want to join me? And so that I'm going to be exhausted the whole time. Exactly. And have no energy. For you want to go for a walk? No, neither do I. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I, I've, I feel like I've always been able to juggle a lot of balls. So that's sort of getting to the question you asked five yeah. minutes ago. But at the same time, like living overseas and bouncing around and, and, you know, at the end of the season, that would mean I would wrap up in Europe and come back to the States and see my family for a week and then go out to California or Arizona and chase good weather and then you know, zip back for a training camp in Europe and come back to see my family again. And then by the time it's January, it's time to race and tour San Luis again. So the grind didn't get to me, but 
maybe it was beginning to accumulate. Um, and so I'll sort of leave it at that. Yeah. Going back to other, what were your other questions? So anyway, you were, you, you decided at 32 to retire, yeah. but you weren't sure what you wanted to do next. Right. So right, how did right. you transition into where you are now? So, and one other part that I think is fun about this is like you, in a minute, you'll describe why you went down a certain path, but I don't think you probably expected it to be the path that it turned into. Certainly not. I didn't expect this whole sort of racing that you and I are doing together to turn into what it is. Right. And initially, it seemed like some sort of ambassadorship thing. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, there's a whole lot of pros that are uh-huh. coming to this style of racing. And it is the best professional opportunity that yeah. is available at the moment. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> so... Yeah, middle of that year, a couple of sponsors started coming out of the woodwork to say, hey, do you want to be an ambassador? This is 2015. Do you want to be an ambassador next year? Do you want to you know, go to events and, and lead camps and you know, just keep your, your foot in the door in the world of cycling? I said, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And with a good foundation set, a handful more came on and I said, man, this is actually something that I'm going to have to do full time. Um, moved to California, January 2016, immediately within the first week met Laura Really? And have been inseparable ever since. Married, How did y'all meet? Uh, believe it or not, on the bike. Um, we were at a f- mutual friend's birthday party, and it was sort of birthday weekend where, you know, 30 bike-loving nerds come together and eat good food and drink wine and beer and go for cool bike rides. And the cute story is, it's the final day, a big group of us, 25, 30, roll out, and we're like 10 minutes into the ride. It's a beautiful day, and all of a sudden, everybody comes to the stop. They're like, oh, man. Okay, we're at this intersection. We got to go. I got to get back to the city, and I have a race coming up next week. I want to do my training. And as as basically a group of twenty five guys are trying to hem and haw and make a decision, I see Laura and her friend Pia peel off and just start riding away in the direction that I know is kick ass riding. So I'm like sitting at this intersection. Look left, see two girls. Look right, see twenty five guys. I'm, like, I'm gonna go that way. So chase them down. There you go. Rode all Love day it. and continue to ride all day together. That's awesome. Cute story. Yeah, big time. Anyway, 100% truth to it. So, yeah, I mean, you alluded to it too. Like that initial um, year of ambassing, so to speak, was <laughs> was was going to, to events and talking to my sponsors and working through product development, R and D, and and you know, leading pop up rides and and basically just instilling stoke in the sport. Um, on a something of a whim. An acquaintance, now very good friend, Rebecca Rush, said, hey, this is about April. She said, you got to go do Dirty Kanza. And I'm like, I've heard of this Dirty Kanza. It sounds totally ridiculous. I probably have some some attributes and skills and, and characteristics that will lend well there. But that's crazy. Eh, maybe. And I ended up doing it, and that has spawned so much that is what I do now. Um, I think probably a similar thing you experienced, which is what I freaking love about what we do, is just how amazingly welcoming that community was and continues to be uh the gravel community in emporia and dirty kansas dirty kansas dirty kansas speaking of getting names right ted yeah well i've had three or four (laughs) sips of my two beers sitting next to me um (laughs) dirty kansas in emporia kansas just so rad so welcoming so fun so admittedly successful that first year and the next year I did not do nearly as well as I'd hoped with some bad luck and you know still everybody's just stoked and I'm like man this is this is my people this is my crew this is my community and over the past four years gravel has continued to boom it certainly did not start in 2016 it certainly um, has seen more and more competition enter in it over the past couple years but I have a funny time I have a funny time calling myself a, a professional racer. I mean, I, I get that I am and I do professional races, um, but certainly not to the degree that we did before. I train completely differently. My, the two beers next to me speak largely to my, uh, my, my nutrition plan these days. Um, <laughs> so yeah, racing is a facet of what I do. I'm going to bring this all together. Yeah. Coaching is a facet of what I do. Um, Having the podcast is a whole lot of fun. Having the video series is a whole lot of fun. Co-owning Untapped is something that I co-founded in 2013. Um, and that is why Laura and I moved back to Vermont uh, in about the summer of 2018. 
So being closer to the company, um, having face-to-face contact rather than over the phone and over email and text message contact. What else do I do? Oh, uh, yeah. We, we, we founded an event, uh, Rooted Vermont, which is freaking awesome. Smashing 550-person event in 2019. Um, we're shooting for about mm, between 800 and 900 for wow. 2020. Um, and... We've been running the King Challenge, a charity ride f- to benefit the Krempel Center for adults living with brain injury. We hit year nine this year. We smashed through a million dollars in total for the Krempel Center. Um, yeah, so sure. How do you? So how do when you, I have a daughter, it's all going to be easy. What is your exactly? <laughs> what is your? How do you manage your day to day? How do you prioritize riding versus making sure untapped gels get to doorsteps mm-hmm. versus? launching or landing sponsors for untap or um, rooted Vermont. Sheesh. Um, I think having a tremendous team around you is always going to be critical. So in that order, rooted, sorry, untapped has an amazing team. We, my co-founders are outstanding. We have very few employees, but they're outstanding. We divide and conquer, conquer. Well, we, each have particular uh, skill sets that that we lean on, but all decisions are effectively made as a group. Um, being face to face is awesome, and and so certainly a team is a huge part of the answer there. No different than rooted. I mean, I say I did three percent of the work. Laura and our very good friend Chris and Motley. Uh, I mean, they they run the show. I will often lend uh, introduction or or open up the door, but they were very aware. Like throwing an event is something that we've wanted to do for a long time, but I'm just like, I don't have the bandwidth. Mm. And and the timing was certainly right with Laura having relatively recently left her previous job and moving to Vermont and just loving the community that we found there. And so that that was smashing. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, yeah, to answer the... The last part. The Well, how I... I basically wake up, know what my to-do list was the day before, know what the priority was in that to-do list, try to hit that, try to bang through 75 emails that have landed overnight. Um, Living in Vermont, it's look at the weather, be aware of the weather in the next eh, 72 hours, and that will dictate a lot of my training um, because it ends up being just very fluid. It's like, oh, man, we have a sunny day. I'm going to do a long ride that day. Oh, man, it's raining. I'm going to just work all day. Um, I might spend some time on the trainer. I might spend some time in the gym. Um, we have a home gym, which is super convenient. Very limited. We have an exercise ball, two wonderful Saris trainers, and a couple of weights. And weights are very heavy, so I don't use those very often. <laughs> got a TRX, so I can bang out a lot of that. Yeah, that. yeah. So quick follow-up question just in terms of training. You're um, at like a... Seven to one question ratio. I know. We'll, we'll <laughs> These set, are great. We'll settle like up. In a, we'll settle like up this. in a minute. Um, in terms of because I heard you mention at one point, and I can't remember if it was directly to me or you said it in more of a group setting, but or maybe it was even on social media that you'd been seeing some of the best power numbers within the last year or two that you have in a while. But I have to assume you're heavier. Yeah. <laughs> so how does that shake out in terms of maybe what you? It, first of all, is that true? Like, do you still feel like you're, well, obviously you're still a very, very strong bike rider, but how do you feel about yourself as an athlete now versus when you were able to dedicate 100% of your time to it? I know I am lacking and heavier now than in a previous lifetime, and I'm completely okay with that. Yeah. I forget the context in which I said that, although I do remember having said something to that effect. I know my long-term power, call it, 10 minutes and up, and I don't like to do efforts longer than 20 minutes unless they're of the 10-hour range. <laughs> but, like, you know what I mean? I got you. So, basically, I'm saying, like, if I go do a th- straight-up 10 to 20-minute threshold test, I've done that in the past year or so, call it anytime through 28, from 2018 through the present, and done what I consider impressively high numbers, like what I would have sort of set as a benchmark in my, my racing career, Yes, I'm heavier to the tune of mm, a dozen to 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that I've lost the the shorter, super intense stuff. Like 
if you tell me to go do VO2 training, I think that sounds terrible. That sounds so hard. Like I know how hard that is and I know I don't want to do that because I'd rather just, if I have an hour of training, go do an hour of sweet bike riding because yeah. that's what I consider fun these days. I crushed you in a sprint earlier this year. Oh my God, you, you'd crush me in any sprint. But, but yes, also, you did, you but, did. But also I completely imploded off your wheel six hours into a six hour and a half race later in the year. So we've been duking it out. It's been a good year. Yeah. Point point being, you still have plenty of ways to win bike races. Well, I had those frontal the, the front spoiler in the form of arrow bars when you beat me in the sprint. I was just embarrassed. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. <laughs> that was a classic gravel sprint. One person was on slick tires, one person was on knobby tires, one person had arrow bars, one person yeah, it was uh-huh. and it, it was, was from a red light. It was good. It was a road biker, a mountain biker, and a cyclocross biker. Yeah. End up at a hilarious. bar. That was hilarious. That was excellent. Anyway. Um, all right. Shoot, you're asking all these hard-hitting questions. I'm, I'm going to go I'm gonna go way easier. That's fine. Payson, what's yeah. your favorite, what are your favorite podcasts? Ooh, that's a good question. I love that question because we're both such podcast nerds. We should, to our listeners who don't listen to each other's podcasts, we should introduce our podcast. Mine... My name is Ted King, and mine is called King of the Ride. Listen to King of the Ride. It's good. Thanks. Payson, what you got? My name is Payson McKelvin, not McElevin, <laughs> and my podcast is called The Adventure Stash, and I've been doing it a shorter period of time than Ted has, but only I'm a encouraged. Couple I mean, really? Only a couple months? I started in May 2018. Okay. I'm encouraged by the fact that Ted seems to still enjoy it so much. Is it? It's not a grind. It is a lot of work. Yes. Well put. Well All right. Put. Favorite podcast. Um, favorite podcasts. It's a bit of a cop-out, but I really do enjoy listening to Joe Rogan. Not all of the episodes, but mm-hmm. there are, I mean, the guests he pulls are just completely insane. Absolutely. Uh, I listened to his very long chat with Edward Snowden on the plane flight here. What? Yep. In the, person? Uh, no. Okay. It was one of two he's ever done remotely. Okay. Love that one. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, I have listened to the Tim Ferriss show, but I do oh. that less frequently. Uh-huh. Um, I, I do that more almost as you would a Google search. Like if I'm, I'm looking for certain information on a certain thing. Yeah. It's quite intellectual. And so at times you want something that's a little bit easier listening. Uh-huh. Um... I should just pull up my phone because again. Well, I was going to say I have the benefit of looking at my computer right now. Uh huh. Because I'm going to answer my favorite. Yeah. My favorite is the adventure stash. Um, <laughs> well, and I was about to see King of the Ride. Honestly, actually, I have a question about that. Yo. Did you rebrand? Did it used to be King of the Road? No, it's always been King of the Ride. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what's tricky about it. Everyone's like King of the Road. Yeah. Close. Um. No, and and you know what I like is we have uh. Just as an example, we have slightly slightly different interviewing styles, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so I had certain questions for, say, Colin Strickland, mm-hmm. and we talked about certain things. And you had certain things that you wanted to hear from Colin Strickland. And I learned a lot of things about Colin Strickland hmm. that I didn't even know I wanted to know, even though we're good friends. Yeah. And then also the conversation that y'all had was in a very interesting context in Iceland. Totally. And so that aspect is cool. More so in the lobby of a ho- very busy hotel. <laughs> yeah, the feeding of of uh, of uh, uh, stale. What was it? Shark. Uh, oh my god, it was so bad. He had shark jerky or fish yeah. jerky. <laughs> yeah, that was Bit priceless. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, another answer for you is the WTF podcast with Mark Marin. Nice. Yep. 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 And then, honestly, right now, the one I'm listening to most frequently is the Ringer NBA show because I'm a ginormous NBA nerd. Dude, I have a whole suite of questions. And then last last one would be, uh, this is a bit of a deep cut in terms of sport ball, but the right time with Bomani Jones um, is is awesome. Okay. I dig it. Uh, Do you ever pick up any How I Built This podcast? Yeah, I've definitely listened to some of those. Um, Those are... For sure, those are very solid. Again, super informative, uh, mm-hmm. inspiring. It's funny. I'm sure you have the same experience. Sometimes I'll be on a road trip, whatever, listening to a podcast, and they're so freaking inspiring. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. And I've literally pulled over on the side of the road and just started filling up one of my notebooks here because I'm like, 
okay, I need to be better. And here are some ways that I just learned to be better. <laughs> if you ever don't have a guest, which is rare because you have a, a deep uh, inventory of, of podcasts, you should just record yourself reading your internal dialogue that you get when you are in your, your inspired mode. Yeah. All right. What uh, else do you this have American your, Life? Yes. Absolute classic. Any of NPRs really are, are really true. Some, yeah. Serial? I've listened to the first two. Yeah. They're pretty stale after that. Really? Uh, well, you mean the first two series? Yeah. Okay. Not just first two episodes. No, no, no. Yep. Uh, after then, they just take a direction that isn't as my as much my jam. Yeah, that's fair. Stuff you should know. Uh, I have some, mm-hmm. but not as much recently. I love to my dear listener stuff you should know podcast. And yeah. Give it time, and there's so freaking many. Yeah, just scroll through for days until you find something you like. Um, I don't listen to a lot of cycling podcasts. With the exception of Adventure Stash, which is not really a cycling podcast by any stretch of the imagination. Life in the Peloton by Mitch Docker. I don't know that one. Freaking amazing. Mitch races for uh, EF Education First, whatever the is heck Is he called. the secret pro on Twitter? I doubt it. I don't know who the secret pro is. It's me. <laughs> but Mitch has... Oh my God, you need to have him on your podcast. I really want him on my podcast, but he has a mustache and it's amazing. What? Yeah. Oh no, I know people always send me his account. Mitchu. Yeah. Oh, shout out. Shout out to Mitch. That's cool. That's cool. So yeah, let's keep going in this direction of media. Um, What are your other go-to media outlets? Great question. Um, I, every morning that I'm at home, I start my morning with NPR. I have this old analog radio that I love very much, and I just tune into the local NPR station. Mm-hmm. Um, other forms of media. Uh, I flip on Red Bull TV pretty frequently because it's so varied and it, it's kind of insane. There's this massive bank of incredible storytelling on Red Bull TV <laughs> that's 100% free, and it's just constantly on cycle. So, Every time you turn it on, it's something new, whether it's some documentary about F1 racing or some crazy backstory of wingsuiting or whatever it is. So that's way cool. Um, I uh, Probably my favorite account on Instagram is House of Highlights. That is uh, basketball, football, and baseball highlights, predominantly basketball. Nice. Um, watch a lot of that. Watch a ton of basketball. Um, I'm really, really bad at watching Netflix. I would <laughs> love to get back into that because I think I need to be better at relaxing and slowing down and not working and getting sucked into a series would be helpful for mm-hmm. that. Although I did just watch Chernobyl on HBO. That was insane. That is the mother of all intents. That was crazy. Yeah. Really glad I watched it. Um, uh, yeah. Did you have any hesi- not hesitation? Did you have any trouble breaking through some of the early monotony? I was on an airplane. It was an exceptionally long airplane ride, mm-hmm. and I was able to watch. I think probably five episodes That's of a Chernobyl. Long yeah, we might be thinking of a different series. No, because Chernobyl uh, is only five episodes. It's a mini series. Oh well, yeah. Okay, maybe I watch three of them. Yeah. Point being, okay, the context of being enclosed in an airplane. Is yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was hard to break through. I continued to watch. I need to watch two more episodes, apparently. Yeah, it's... It was both riveting and so slow. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, it's it, basically, it's it's weird because the most significant event uh, happens at the very beginning. Yeah. And then the story is about how you're dealing with a climax, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's a little bit unusual in that regard, but... It's Quentin Tarantino-esque. Yeah. Sort of like mm-hmm. show the highlight and then work backwards. Yeah, but yeah. Just yeah. show the low light and yeah. there's Chernobyl. Um, that I think is another trait that you and I share is the we aren't purely obsessed with two wheels. Mm. Like hockey is my jam. If I really? could have been a hockey player, I played That's till I was eighteen. Cool. Uh, had uh, I've had just one NHLer on the podcast, but who was that? Uh, Andrew Ferentz, captain of the Boston Bruins. Wow, um, captain that's of the pull. Oilers. That's a pull. Stanley Cup champ. He's rad. What episode was that? I need to go back and listen to that. Some of my old ones, I go back and listen to him. Like, I'm just like, wow. I can't believe I got to talk to this person. Yeah. Dude, so many cool people. I wish I was better at interviewing. Oh, back yeah. Then. <laughs> totally. The other funny part about old podcasts 
are the the locations in which they take place. Yeah. Um, I think you also exclusively do face to face podcasts. Yeah. And they're often uh, through through each person's schedule, it might be limited. So that one was at Jeremy Powers Grand Fondo, and we found two uh, lawn chairs and basically posted up in the lawn and that's awesome. Watched like the post race party ensue and did a little potty. That's great. It was sick. A little potty. That's a new one. I'm gonna use that. Mitch Docker. Yeah, being of course, Aussie, of course right. he says potty. Hey, potty. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, that's great. Sports Center. Just love yep. me some Sports Center. Yep. Like. If I'm in a hotel, on. That's what I watch. That's awesome. And, um, and then, okay, Haswald speaking of... has entered the room. R- the man, the myth. Oh, I don't, hi. <laughs> <laughs> don't mean to interrupt, sorry. No, you, you're just, uh, you're flavor, man. Oh, thanks. Always. This would be a good, this would be a group question. So you just mentioned House of Highlights yeah. on Instagram. Mm-hmm. One of my, I'm not saying it's your favorite Instagram account. One of my favorite Instagram accounts is Jerry of the Day. Yeah, classic. Great. I'm glad you guys are familiar. I would also like to point out, I have met Jerry. What? What? That's a real person? Jerry Colton exists. He is a former member of the UVM ski team. I met him when he had 200,000 followers because I went to a, uh, I was watching the Patriots. I went to Burlington. I was invited to a friend's house to watch the Pats game. Um, Went over, saw them. It was a bunch of UVM skiers. And we're talking for whatever reason about Instagram. And they're like, hey, Ted, how many Instagram followers do you have? And I think I'm hot stuff at that time. I had like 25,000. Like, Jerry, what do you got? 200,000. <laughs> and what's he at now? Like 2.5? Probably. I don't know. Oh, that's so amazing. Good. So that's sort of a cheat because it's such a good one. But if our listeners don't know Jerry of the Day, get on it and start following. Other favorite pods. Uh, Instagram accounts. Kook Slams is another good one. Kook Slams? If you don't know Kook Slams, you got to check out Kook Slams. It makes me giggle and I'm an old man. K or C? Uh, K. Kook Slams is really, really good. Thank you. Your yeah. house wall throwing <laughs> in some Kook Slams. Verified account. Yes. 1.4 mil. Yeah, they're good. Payson? Um, I like, well, Red Bull, of course. Because every dang thing they post makes your jaw hit the floor. And it's so diverse. I mean, this yeah. isn't just some, some shameless plug for your sponsor, but Correct. it's like everything from crazy dancing to <clears throat> cliff jumping to guys on guider, glider planes. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Skateboarding. <laughs> what? Or the guy who is surfing behind a car on a flooded street. Yes. Yeah. I love that one. <laughs> that happened yeah. in Venice when I was there. That was crazy. Man. Uh you know, recently I've we've already brought him up once, but I've really been enjoying following Colin Strickland's Instagram because, yeah. like yeah, us, yes. that dude, he thinks about racing and riding his bike when he's on it, and the rest mm-hmm. of the time he's doing cool shit that is, in some ways, relatively humble, but a bit of a lost art. I mean, I I was down in Austin not too long ago and went over. To his house, and he he bought this uh, really rundown place a handful of years ago. Incredible location in Austin, really good investment, and he has the skills to completely redo this thing. And it was super inspiring, honestly. And now he has this crazy big Spartan Airstream parked in his backyard Sick. that he's completely renovating. Um, and I just have a lot of respect for that kind of salt of the earth, uh, old school ability to do things with your hands. Um, he made a shower. Yes, drained. that was awesome. And he put that on the old IG. I was like, you have put more skill into this shower drain than I've put into most I of my house. I saw the shower drain in person. Yeah. And I put it on Instagram because it's a famous shower drain. Oh. Impressive. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, is it my turn or your turn? I'm going to hit rolling? you with another one. Okay, that's fine. <clears throat> van life. Yeah. A, a livable van is no small investment in, in, in a whole variety of ways. How did you come to the decision that you needed to have a van? Good question. Um, up until 2000, late 2017, I was basically flying to all of my events exclusively. And I had this experience where I think I was flying to the Sea Otter Classic and we flew over the Grand Canyon. And I thought, man, I have not been to the Grand Canyon. It looks really cool from here. I also thought, 
the Grand Canyon is on the way to Sea Otter, and it probably <laughs> looks even cooler when you're on the Grand Canyon in the Grand Canyon. And right around those time, right around that time, van life was really hitting the mainstream, and uh, that's part A. Part B, and so I, the the idea was crystallizing. Part B is I grew up in Central Texas driving to the Texas Series races with my dad and my mom sometimes in an '87 VW Westfalia Vanagon. Sick. Does your family still own this vehicle? Oh, we wish. My dad loved it so much that he used to drive it to work. Uh, he's been an ER doctor for many years. He used to drive it to work. Um, he stopped uh, one early morning in a grocery store parking lot to grab lunch for later in the day when he was on his shift. Gets out of the van, almost makes it to the door of the grocery store, hears something kind of strange, looks back, and the entire back half of the thing is on fire. Just oh flames God. billowing. <laughs> and because it's my dad and he is... Uh, a hard man, Southern Texas rancher. He ran into the burning van, salvaged all of his beloved old maps and journals. Gazetteers. Yeah. Old school. Um, he has, you know, weather journals, all these sorts of things. Uh, salvaged all that and the bur- the van burned to the ground right there in the parking lot. Um, that's part two. Part three of why I did van life is growing up, I was so I had such blinders on in regards to bike riding and bike racing that I never took the time to learn all of the tradesman skills that he has, the tradesman skills that we just mentioned that Colin Strickland has. Uh-huh. My dad is every bit as able. Um, and once I left for college, I very, very much regretted not learning those things. So I decided in the I think it was the winter of 2017. All right, I'm going to head down to Austin for my off season. And I'm going to be doing 20, 25-hour training weeks. And I'm going to be building out a van with my dad at the same time because I want to learn these skills. I want to have the ability to go see the Grand Canyon on the way way to Sea Otter instead of the DFW or Denver Airport. Um, And so we did it. And it was a way, way, way bigger project than I anticipated. Holy cow. It was, um, I would never do it again. Yeah. Um, the those big cargo vans. So the one I have right now is a Ford Transit, the largest Ford Transit. They are not built to put a tiny home inside of. Nothing <laughs> is square. <laughs> nothing is flush. Yeah. Everything is curved. You can't drill into anything. And so literally ninety percent of our time was spent in little camp chairs inside the back, staring at the wall, figuring out how to problem solve. Oh my god! It was some of the most amazing two months uh, I've ever had, especially since I shared it with my dad. Mm-hmm. Complete labor of love. Uh, glad I did it. But um, in the future, I will have someone else do it for me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Turns out you can do that. Yeah. Wow. That's an excellent story. Yeah. Uh, Laura and I, believe it or not, are talking about getting a van. Do it. it because the, the hype is it. real. Do it. The hype is real. You know, you're like, what kind of crazy person would have a kid and get a van? Well, our friend Addison Zawada did that. Yeah. And not only that, but he takes his wife, kid, and dog. You like, can do it. It's doable. All right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is two thumbs up from the audience. Yeah. <laughs> all right. What do you got? Um, let's see here. What, okay. We were talking about careers earlier. I'm curious what it's been like to think you were retired, step into a new segment that exploded, uh, probably beyond anything anyone expected. Um, and all of a sudden there's a whole lot more professionalism coming into the top of the sport. Your, uh, one of the most established names easily, along with Yuri, honestly, who's sitting DK here. DK winner. Uh, yeah. Thank you. That's crazy. We have two DK winners here. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I am not one. Um, what has it been like? Um, how do you feel about the, the professionalization of, of gravel racing? And do you feel like you need to raise your game? Or do you think... Uh, all of the folks that are coming in will more meet the the quote unquote tradition of gravel, and we'll we'll all be able to compromise. Are you worried about big teams coming in and trying to dominate with the tactics that you retired from, um, among all of the other conversations surrounding gravel? Record scratch. <laughs> 
that is a three-hour podcast that we should all sit down to. Separate episode, bro. Because <laughs> I think someone's going to walk in here any minute and try okay. to steal my bike. Um, <clears throat> I think one, okay, I will put my stake in the ground and say I do not like teams in gravel. I like the privateer nature of the sport. I like the strong survive. Um, I'm, I am okay, and this gets a little bit shades of gray. I am okay with ones and twos. Um, I thought the way DK shook out this year was was advantageous and good for everybody. You know, EF looks good and track looks good. And, Agreed. And, and, and it couldn't have gone any better to have Colin win. Right. It could have very easily been an all-world tour podium. And then we say, oh, well, yep, I guess they are the strongest. Duh. Yeah. Um, I don't think that their numbers help them at all, though. Numbers, like numbers of Team riders? numbers. Well, so I don't think so in terms of ones and twos. Right. Except I Land think... Landron, it, it kind of mattered just from like our mental sanity standpoint. But Having that's a teammates? Different... That was the first time that teams were... were when there was somebody up the road, he's like, dude, I got a teammate up the road. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Well, that and also like, I mean... It's this is going to be a very controversial statement, but it's different when a team is made up of riders that have the potential to win and riders who don't have the potential to win but are still pulling some tactics that uh you know kind of make the the dynamics of the race well, very negative. Well, play to their advantage and and there are certain aspects of that that begin to be controversial when right. you do a wheel change. And, right, and someone hilarious. who is not going to win is going to sacrifice their race in order to give up their wheel to somebody who could potentially win. And yeah, you know what? Like, I'm certainly more okay with that than seeing a whole world tour team roll up on a start line. And I don't think any world tour team in in this year or next year or the next foreseeable future is going to do that. But I, I don't. I think it certainly has potential, and then I think that is going to begin to be the end of certainly fun gravel as as we know it. And, you know, I mean, you come to an event like DK and there are, at this point, 3,300 people and we're talking about a very pointy end of the race. But it's very important to us. And there are a lot of people paying attention and we are earning salaries and bonuses and, and, you know, all these things do hang in the balance. So as much as the race is about the masses and I 100% agree it is about the masses and that's what makes gravel so freaking cool, it is also about everybody and it's about what's happening up front and I think there are ways to ruin gravel and there, I think there are ways to make gravel awesome yep. um, so sending teams is certainly not going to be the way to save gravel that's fair uh, well theoretically we're going to get cut off here in a second but speaking yeah. of race dynamics and that sort of thing yep. uh, we are here in Bentonville, Arkansas for the announcement and launch of an all new gravel event uh, last night, you and I sat down with uh, Dan Cavallari of Velenews, and he asked us what we thought the five monuments <laughs> of gravel racing were. And we had yeah. a, we had a lot of trouble coming up with answers. Yeah. We have four pretty solid answers, but it seems like this new event, even though it doesn't exist yet, could theoretically slot in there as the fifth biggest. We'll see. Um, what are your thoughts after pre-riding some of the course today? I think... It's called Big Sugar, and it's being put on by the DK team, now managed by Lifetime. Which is interesting in its own right, another whole podcast unto itself, that this is the first time Lifetime is creating an event. Lifetime has 32 very successful events across all endurance sports, and this is the first time they're saying, you know oh, what, really? let's create one. Huh. Yeah, That's cool. Which I think is cool. It speaks to the, the DK crew, because this was their... This was their brainstorm to create something in a, a freaking booming part of the country. This is my first time to uh, to Bentonville, and I think if you'd said to people Emporia, Kansas, ten years ago, they'd have no idea what it is. And it's on it's on the cycling map, and for sure, Bentonville is on the cycling map. Um, I think the word chunky has been thrown around a lot, and I rode a little bit of gravel yesterday, and I was like, I don't know, this is just gravel. We rode a whole bunch of miles today, and this is chunky af like yeah. bring your a game folks because it, admittedly we also wrote it uh coming on the tail end of a very rainy season and in the middle of pouring rain so things were particularly chopped up but big tires are probably going to be to your advantage um i'm not kidding 
we were joking about it today. I mean, I think a hardtail mountain bike is not going to be the winning solution, but it could be the solution for a lot of people who want to get through successfully. Yeah. I was shocked when I looked down. It felt like we were going pretty slow. And I mean, we weren't going close to race pace, but we weren't going uh, like spin along, take photos pace. And my average speed was like 14.7 miles an hour. Well, I was like, I've done mountain bike rides that are faster than this. No, you'll appreciate this. So we, we end, the three of us ended up riding together for quite a bit after a very, uh, you know, big group. What, 30 of us started? Maybe not that many. But anyway, through a series of flats, the three of us are riding together. And at that point, I hit lap on my computer. And I'm like, okay, now we're really going to start hammering. After what I thought was, yeah, a super slow start. And my slow start and fast finish were the exactly same average speed. <laughs> 14.4. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that might be it. It's not it. That's not who we thought it was. Well, oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Okay. This might be. Payson, this has been a pleasure. Yuri, Likewise. It's been outstanding. Thank you for letting me crash the cast. Everyone, um, listen to King of the Ride and the Adventure Stash Duo Pod. And I have a hunch we have about seven to eight more hours of easily content ready to go. All right. Peace out, y'all. Bye. On the tail end of that conversation, you may have caught wind of my mentioning that my bike was being stolen. Fret not, my friends. By that, I mean I had a friendly mechanic coming to our Airbnb where this conversation took place to grab the bike for a quick tune. So no, it was not actually stolen. That was what was going to wrap up our convo. We were then off to dinner, then flights home. But clearly, we've just touched the surface, Peyton and I. We'll be crossing paths again sooner or later, duking it out, bumping elbows, and somehow sitting down for another conversation. I know it. Anyhow, that's it for now. Thank you very much, Payson, for taking the time. Thank you, our listener, very much for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, please enjoy the ride. <laughs>